You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. My wife and family and I, we served in Puerto Rico for a few years, which is where your pastor is from. And I don't remember it being this chilly when we lived in Puerto Rico. It's just ironic that here you are after growing up in the Caribbean of all places. Well, so as Rick said, uh, Laura and I have been friends with Rick and Jane now um, for actually almost 30 years. And uh, it was 28 and a half years ago that as a, a brand new missionary right out of college with Campus Crusade for Christ, I reported to UC Santa Barbara. And Rick and Jane were my first kind of bosses. And there are several, many, many things that Rick and Jane taught me. Um, Two that I want to share right now. And one of those we're going to really focus in on this morning. The first thing I I, I learned from Rick and Jane was how to share my faith, how to lead somebody into a relationship with Jesus, um, and then help them grow in their walk with him. Now, doesn't that sound like your pastor? Doesn't that sound like something that he does? Um, I learned that from Rick and Jane, but then secondly, and more pertinently to this morning, I learned about God's heart for the nations. I learned about God's heart for every ethnicity, every unique language that he has created. And that's where we're going this morning. I'm really looking forward to some of the fun stories that I get to share with you after we spend some time um, in God's word. Um, Now, before we do that, I want you to think Um, I want you to get uh, real deep here with me. Think of kind of the, maybe the favorite book that you've ever read. Um, It could be from your your childhood. It could be recent. But think of a fiction book that you've read that really kind of grabbed you, really made you think. So, and this shows how how deep I, I go my, my book that I thought of when my friend Todd asked me this question in a message like this years ago was this, Clifford the Big Red Dog. <laughs> so when I think of a compelling book that I've read, and this was many years ago, it was Clifford the Big Red Dog. Now, like any good book, Clifford had a very strong introduction to the book, and then there was, a, there was a theme or a plot, and a lot of times kind of a conflict that is introduced early on in the story. And that theme would go all throughout the book, all like 11 pages. Remember those cardboard pages that Clifford the Big Red Dog had? And then there was always a dramatic conclusion to the end of the book. And that you know, that would always wrap up the tension, you know, Clifford sat on the mailman, or Clifford ruined a house because he's so big. Three elements of every good book you'll ever read. A very clear and compelling introduction, a theme introduced early on, and then a very dramatic conclusion that wraps up the tension or the conflict of that theme. Well, the Bible's no different. The Bible has a very strong introduction, a theme that runs throughout its entirety, and then a very dramatic conclusion. Now, as you've probably heard Rick teach about this, the Bible was written over a span of 1,500 years. 
There are 66 total books in the Bible written in three different languages, written on three different continents. Yet throughout all of those 66 books, there is one theme that runs through its entirety. That theme being what I learned from Rick and Jane almost 30 years ago. God's heart for every ethne. God's heart for every unique ethnic group that he has created. So let's begin with the introduction. Let's begin where God begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Now, this is an interesting command. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. God doesn't just say, be fruitful and multiply the Garden of Eden where you are. It was a beautiful place, even probably more beautiful than what we're looking at right now. God doesn't say fill and populate where you are. He says the whole earth. Now, why did he say the whole earth? Because God knew that Adam and Eve weren't going to just populate physically, but they would populate spiritually. And there would be worshipers of him throughout the whole earth. Now, the problem was, if you fast forward a couple chapters into chapter 3, that sin has crept in and taken over. So what does God do? What does God do? Well, in a sense, he kind of, he wipes the slate clean. He starts over and he floods the earth. So what happens in Genesis chapter 9 when Noah and his family step off of the ark? Genesis 9.1, this is going to sound familiar. Then God blessed Noah and his sons saying to them, what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He doesn't say, hey, Noah, just populate this really nice looking region that's around you. No, he says, fill the earth. So there it is again, the command, fill the earth. So does God get the earth filled? Let's keep reading. Genesis 11. Again, we're still in the introduction here. Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain and settled there. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. We may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now call me crazy, but God is saying, go and fill the earth. That doesn't seem to fit too well with them saying, let's not be scattered. So I can just hear these people now. You know, we all look the same. We all talk the same. We all act the same. We all dress the same. We all vote the same. Oh, I probably shouldn't go there. Let's stay here and make a name for ourselves. We don't need to be scattered. So they're not exactly obeying God's command. There's an urge to settle. So what does God do? Genesis chapter 11. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. So these, pe these people, they're urged to settle. They disobey God. And it's really interesting that they build this tower. They build the tower of what? Right, they build the tower of Babel. Now it's interesting. Some Bible scholars will tell you that 
Yes, they, they were proud. They wanted to make a name for themselves. But one of the reasons they built a tower is because they believed, because they were so wicked, that God would not keep his promise and that he would indeed flood the earth again. Remember, God promised, I'm not going to flood the earth again. And so these people were like, well, you know, we've messed up so bad that he probably will flood to get rid of us. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to build this really cute tower that goes way up. And when the waters come up, we're just going to run up that tower and we're going to be okay. So what does God do? Well, he keeps his promise, right? He doesn't flood the earth. He comes down and he scatters the people by taking one language and creating 70 languages. You can actually read those literal 70 languages in Genesis chapter 10. It's called the Table of Nations. So that's the introduction. The table is set. The question now is, how does God reach those 70 unique languages? Which, by the way, we'll get to this later, but there are now over 6,900 unique languages around the world. So now let's turn the page, Genesis chapter 12, and we see this theme, the thematic backbone of the Bible introduced. Now the Lord said to Abram, again, this word that we hear all throughout the Bible, go. What does go mean? Don't stay, right. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, the families of the earth will be blessed. I have blessed you to be a blessing. This is called the Abrahamic promise or the Abrahamic covenant where God says, I have blessed you so that you will be a blessing just to kind of your family or the people around you. Nope, exactly. You're shaking your head at me. No, God says, I have blessed you so that you will bring blessing to others. You know, in, in school, I remember a, one of my advisors reminded me, he said, you know what, Shane, the, the word blessing in the Bible, in some cases, is also translated as the word heal. I have brought healing to you so that you will bring healing to the nations, to every ethnic. So God gives the Abrahamic covenant and promise to Abraham and then actually his family a total of five times throughout the first several books of the Bible. And then you know what? You see God's heart for the nations, his relentless pursuit of every ethne. You see it over 1,600 times in the Bible. And you see it even way more in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. I've had people ask me, hey, Shane, like, what's your favorite book on, that, that's ever been written about missions? And there's some incredible biographies, some incredible books written about God's going to the nations. But I say, you know what? The best book ever written about God's heart for the world is the book of Psalms. Over 175 times do we read of God's heart for every ethne, for every nation in the Psalms. You see it in Habakkuk. You see it in, in Zephaniah. You see it in all of these books that, you know, we don't, we don't hear or read as often. 
But God's heart for the nation, this thematic backbone, is all throughout the Old Testament. Let me share one story where we see God really show up and we see his heart for every ethnic. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to read these 10 verses and then we're going to set the stage. This is probably, a, a, I'm sure this is a story you're, you're well familiar with. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. It's a great story, isn't it? Oh, this gets so good. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. How cool is that? This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, I still remember when I was in, it was probably third grade, second grade, and hearing this story for the first time. Mr. Kolb brought out a flannel graph. Now, if you're my age or older, you know what a flannel graph is. If, if you're younger than me, you're looking at me like, gosh, this dude is so old. But there was this really cool kind of like felt board, and he brought out Goliath, which was this, this big warrior guy, and he stuck it on the flannel graph, and he told this incredible story. And David, at this time, was probably between 12 and 16 years old when he fought the giant. Yeah. Now, kind of picture this. So you have the Philistine army on one side. You have the army of the Israelites on the other side. And every day, Goliath, this, this, this known warrior, would come out and he would challenge and say, send me your best warrior and we will do battle in front of everyone. And whoever wins, the other army serves us. Now, who's going who's gonna to take that? Nobody. Every day, this, this, this warrior Goliath comes out and he asks for someone to do battle with. Finally, David says, I'll do it. He actually is, is they try to convince him to put on the king's armor and all that. He's like, no, I can't, I can't do any of that. And this 12 to 16 year old boy shows up. And again, you have these two armies looking down and watching this. Now, what do you think both armies were thinking when David showed up? I mean, if, if I were on David's side, I just would have been, I would have been running, you know, right? And the Philistines must have said, oh my gosh, this is like the easiest war we've ever fought. This is awesome. So what happens? So David, who we know, has previously had some experience as a shepherd. So what does he do? He, as he walks towards Goliath, he stops and he picks up 
some smooth stones. Now, the flannel graph did not depict these stones very well. These were not just cute little stones that you would see on the road here. Bible scholars will tell you that these stones were between three and five pounds. And the slingshot that David used was not the type of slingshot that I used in my backyard as a kid, where I would pick up an acorn and I would shoot it at a bird. No. He had a sling, and he picked up a five-pound rock, and he literally began to sprint at the giant. And as he did, he wound up, and he threw that five-pound rock, they say between 100 and 120 miles per hour. Now imagine what a five-pound rock would do to a skull at 120 miles per hour. Well, the Bible says that it literally sank into the skull of the giant. And then David kept running up. He pulls the, you guys, this is like right out of Hollywood almost. He, he, he pulls out the giant's sword and he literally, he cuts off his head. And we're telling this story thousands of years later. Why did God include this? in his holy scripture. I mean, God saw this and he said, you know what? Print that. That is good Bible. And imagine, I mean, imagine the, you know, the, the Twitter feed. You know, imagine how viral this would go. And so you think about this incredible story. Why did God say, you know what? Let's print that. I want that talked about. Not just now, but for thousands of years ahead of us. Why did David kill the giant? Well, you know, the Bible says it right here. You know, David didn't do it to make a name for himself. David killed the giant so that the whole world would know that there is a God in Israel. Even without Twitter, David knew that this news would travel, and he wanted God to get the credit. God's heart for the nations. It's all over the Old Testament. And then, of course, and just as much, it's throughout the New Testament. We see in the first four or five books of the Bible, we see Jesus giving the Great Commission. Matthew 28, there's the word again. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Not just, you know, of, of kind of in your backyard and your family, but all nations. You know, and, and it's not almost as if Jesus gives the Great Commission. It's as if Jesus is repeating the Great Commission. The same promise that has been given all the way since Genesis 12, when this theme was introduced. And so we see this in Paul's epistles. We see it all the way through the New Testament, through the book of Jude. God's heart for the nations, every ethnic. And then we come to the dramatic conclusion, the book of Revelation. Revelation 7-9 summarizes this dramatic conclusion so well. And we see God fulfill that promise. 
After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, from every tribe, from every language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. It's as if God is saying, remember, I promised it back here in Genesis. You saw my pursuit, this theme, all throughout these books. Promise is fulfilled. I will do it. One of my favorite authors is named Bob Sogren. He says this about this theme. This is the theme of Scripture, a unifying thematic backbone permeating God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. It allows us to read the Bible as one book with one introduction, one story, one conclusion, with the main driving theme being God working toward the the goal of bringing himself a greater glory by creating diversity and bringing it back together in harmony. God will do it. It will happen. So as Rick said, we serve in a ministry called the Jesus Film. Uh, Jesus Film is a part of Campus Crusade for Christ, or CREW, as we're now known. We are under that, their umbrella. Um, Our vision in Jesus Film is everyone, everywhere. Uh, Our our prayer is that every ethne, every person in the world, would be able to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus in their heart language. Heart language being the language that they dream in. So the Jesus film was produced actually 40 years ago. And as Rick said, it's, a, it's a, taken almost completely from the Gospel of Luke. Since that time, it has been, as of, as of Friday, I went online and I checked, as of Friday, the Jesus film has been translated into 1,942 languages, with an additional two to three languages being translated each week. So when Rick invites me to speak next week, I'll say 1,945 languages. Uh, There are approximately, this is interesting, 300 remaining languages of 50,000 or more speakers. Our plan is to have those translated by 2025. After that, there will be about 5,000 languages left. All of those um, under 50,000 speakers, some of those even under 1,000 speakers. It's incredible. So since 1979, the film, Jesus, has been seen, or has seen, this is incredible, over 490 million people come to faith in Jesus as a result of watching it. And that's just the numbers that we are able to record. That's just the numbers that our partners tell us. So this happened in just 2020. So is is God continuing to pursue the nations? I think so. In 2020, 742,164,408 people viewed the Jesus film or another one of our Jesus film media. Out of that, 30,121,304 people made decisions to follow Jesus after watching it. We partner with a little over 1,800 other churches and organizations around the world. 
And so, you know, we, we talk about these numbers. And you know what? These, these numbers, you know this, these numbers represent people. They represent souls that will spend eternity somewhere. And what, else, what I love to say about, about these numbers, too, is that these numbers don't count unless these people have been followed up. Somebody who receives Christ, uh, we don't actually, we don't count that unless we're able to, to get together with them and begin to take them through Christian follow-up. So, is God at work? Yes, he is. So let me share a couple of really fun stories, just going to blow your mind. Now, unless you have binoculars with you, you're not going to be able to see this but I'm going to use it kind of as a prop anyways. Um, This is a friend of mine that I work with named Bill. And Bill was recently invited uh, to uh, North Africa um, to meet with these, one, two, three, four, five, six, these eight tribesmen, all leaders in their tribes. And they come from uh, really way out in the bush. These are recent, uh, very new followers of Jesus. And they wanted to know, how could we share the Jesus film in our heart language to the people in our villages? So my friend Bill went and he showed them how to, how to set up uh, the, the screen. Um, they have projectors that are run by uh, solar-powered energy. And he basically commissioned them and he sent these eight leaders out to share the Jesus film. And so they went out and for three weeks they prayed. And they had the, the first showing, and they were a bit disappointed with the turnout. He said, yeah, they were really kind of bombed. Uh, not as many people came from their villages, but they showed the film anyways. Now, these people had never seen a film, let alone a film in their heart language. They'd never seen a film. So they, they set up the, the screen, and you can watch the screen from both sides. And early on in the film... Uh, a bunch of animals wa- walk onto the screen. So in, in, you know, pigs, sheep, whatever. So, so what do the people do? They've never seen a film before. What do they do? Well, those that had weapons, they picked up their, their arrows, they picked up their spears, and they were thinking that they were going to kill dinner. And so immediately, they ruined the screen. So what do they do? Well, fortunately, they had a backup screen, and they said, no, 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 you got you to understand, like, these aren't real. This is, this is like history. This is something that happened, but the animals aren't really there. Oh, okay. And they said, well, and so they, they put it back up, and they started showing it, and they, there were the animals again. And then people were like, that's amazing. So they stopped the film. They said, you have to stop the film. They went back, and they brought all of their village to come see the, f- the, the film of the animals that had risen from the dead. <laughs> At the end of the film, there's an opportunity where you can put your faith in Jesus. And many of these people did so. Is God still pursuing people? Yes. We, uh, we have about 450 staff. Um, and... Much of what we do is partner with other organizations. Um, in, in the, how, how can we help other organizations around the world be effective in evangelism and discipleship? And so we partner with one group in Germany. They're called Elijah 21. Incredible, incredible outfit. 
And their ministry is to reach out to Syrian refugees. And as, as you know, over the last several years, hundreds of thousands of Syrians have fled to Europe, many of them into Germany. So some partners of ours called Elijah 21, every week uh, they go out and uh, they take buses to the, the various refugee camps. They pick up the, the, the Syrian refugees and they take them. And the first thing that you want to do is you want to feed them, okay? It's, it, you feed the stomach before you feed the soul. It usually works better. Uh, whenever we were doing outreaches with Rick and Jane, Back in the day at UCSB, if we provide food, more students come. Okay, that's just how it works. So they would invite uh, these Syrians. They would have a nice German meal for them. And then they would break them up into four kind of different rooms. And these rooms were, were all in, in the different dialects that these Syrians were speaking. Arabic, Turkish, you know, wh- whatever the, the main languages that these Syrians spoke. Uh, there are quite a few, but typically there are four main languages they speak in Syria. And these people would, would go into, uh, into these rooms, they would watch the film, and, you know, it's going to be hard for you to see, but this is a very typical picture of a Syrian when they, when they see and they hear Jesus Christ speak in their heart language. And, you know, this is an actual quote of a Syrian when they first heard Jesus in their heart language. He said, when I watched the film in Arabic, it's as if God came down and rewired my brain. And God can do that, can he? So, very, a very typical response from these Syrians is that they, they, at the end of the film, they give their lives to Jesus. And so the very next day, they go back, they pick them up, they bring them back, and they baptize them, and they begin connecting them into churches and taking them through a basic Christian fellowship. Does God still pursue his people? Yes. Now, I, I, I got to end with uh, just the funnest one. I love this. Love this story. This right here is called a new life box. So what does it look like? Yeah, it looks like a phone. Um, actually, it is a cell phone charger. So if you had the right, if you had a USB cable, you could plug it into your phone and it would, it would charge it up. So actually, if you were taking this through customs into a country, and there are quite a few of them that don't allow Jesus to be worshipped or shared, and the customs agent saw this and said, what is it? You, you could plug your phone in and you would see that it's actually charging. But what this is, it's kind of like a, a Wi-Fi hotspot. So if I, were to, if I were to turn this on, anyone within about 100, 150 radius of me would actually see that they could get on the internet. But really, the only thing showing on the internet today is the Jesus film and whatever language of the Jesus film that I've happened to put on this box. So for example, a friend of mine was in the Middle East three weeks ago 
in a coffee shop. Uh, He had this in his pocket, and he turned it on. He had it on for 30 minutes. When he left, he went back to his hotel, and he plugged it into his computer, and he was able to see that 17 people had downloaded or watched the Jesus film in Arabic. He said on his way home from Istanbul to Chicago, 10 and a half hour flight, about 40 people had downloaded the Jesus film in one of eight other languages, none that were English. So, heard a very recent story of a camel train in the Middle East. Now, a camel train is sort of like 7-Eleven or Walmart to various parts of the world. Uh, you see a camel train coming to your village, and you run out there because you're going to buy or you're going to sell or you're going to trade goods, all right? So a guy who owns a camel train recently became a follower of Jesus. And he was asking, like, well, how, especially in my country, where you're not allowed to worship Jesus, let alone share Jesus, how can I help my people know what I know? How can I share my faith? I've been blessed. How can I be a blessing? So he happened to be trained in how to use the new life box. So it's called Camel Train Wi-Fi Evangelism. So he would go into villages, and he would turn this on for the day. Though these villages are very remote, it's amazing how many people around the world have cell phones. And people, as they're trading, as they're purchasing goods from this merchant, they'd be looking at their phone and go, wow, I have, I have a Wi-Fi signal. And they would look on their phone, and they would see that, like, wow, There's a film in my language, and for free, they could download it right there. Now, at the end of one of their trips, uh, this man realized that his Wi-Fi box, or his new life box, was missing. And somebody came to him and said, you know, at the previous village, uh, there's a thief, and we we think that actually she's the one that, that took it. So he went back to the previous village, And as he walked in to look for this woman, she walks right up to him. She says, I know why you're here. You must come to my my house for dinner. And he was very nervous. He's like, okay, the government's on to me. Um, he, He had no idea what to do. So he said, well, I guess I'll go eat. All right? So he walks into this house, and there are 25 men and their families sitting around a table with this in the center of it. Not this exact one, but you know what I mean. This is in the middle of the table. And she says, sit down, eat. And he's nervous. And he, he doesn't know what to do. A few minutes into the meal, the woman stands up. And she says, again, we all know why you're here. yes. I took your box. And as she grabs the box from the center of the table and raises it up, everyone in her house stands up out of reverence. 
for the box. And she tells him, do you understand, you realize what's on this? And he's still playing dumb. He's like, whoa, why don't you tell me, you know? And she begins to share the good news of Jesus. And then she begins to tell him, you must receive this good news and you must also experience the washing. So she's not only sharing her faith with him, which is like three days old, but she's trying to tell him that he needs to get baptized. This woman, a desert thief, came to faith in Christ and led these 25 men and their families to Christ through this incredible technology. Now, I thought this was really funny. Before he left with his Wi-Fi box, before, with his new life box, he said, you know what? He said, this is incredible. I just, I want to know, how, how did you know how to use it? You know, she's a, he said she was an, an elderly woman. And, he, and she said, oh, that was easy. I just gave it to my grandson, and he showed me how to use it. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Oh, it's so funny. God continues to bless in order to bless the nations. As I wrap up, I want to share a quote from a friend of mine in a book he wrote. It really, I think it summarizes what we've shared this morning. He says, it's important to connect what is happening in Revelation with what God started in Genesis 12 in the life of Abraham. God promised it. God will do it. There will be a representative from every nation, tribe, people, and language bowing and worshiping at his feet. Heaven is multicultural. God is a missionary God. And from cover to cover, he is showing us his mission. Will you join him in bringing a representative from every people group to his throne? It will happen. The only question is, what will be your part? Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for blessing us. Thank you, God, for bringing us healing. Thank you, God, for forgiveness of sins. Thank you, God, for eternal and abundant life through your son, Jesus. God, help us to be a blessing to the nations. God, thank you that, gosh, we don't, we don't really even need to drive a mile sometimes to, to be a blessing to the nations. God, I pray that you would help us as we pray for the nations, as we give to reach the nations, and as some of us even go to the nations. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.